Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In this week's episode, we're looking at how to recover at the end of a long Formula One season, or quite honestly, just at the end of a very long and tough day. Plus, I've got a couple of very special prizes to give away, so stay tuned right to the very end. That's Sid Carcott. Welcome back to the Lane Lab. about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won, so it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Hey everybody, welcome back to a brand new and the final episode of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast with me, Mark Priestley, the final episode of season five. It's absolutely flown by. It's flown by for me. I don't know if it has for you, but I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, I would be hugely grateful if you could show the podcast a little bit of love by just going to wherever it is you're listening or watching and subscribe, follow, like. If you're listening over at Apple and the Apple Podcast Store, a five-star rating goes an enormous way to helping this podcast and a little few words of review makes such a massive difference to how the podcast is shared, but also to me. So if you can do that, spend a few minutes doing that, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. I need to say a big thank you to Car Gods, as I do every single week. They've supported the whole of season five, and I am so grateful for them for doing that. Um, they, this relationship has blossomed because I have so much love for the company, but also the people behind the company. They're a great bunch of people with great values that are so well aligned to this podcast. Um, and at the ultimate, at the heart of this business, as at the heart of any good business, is a really good product. No matter what your company or your business does, whether it's a product or a service, you have to have that at your very core. It's got to be a good product, and that's exactly what Car Gods delivers. And on exciting news on that front, if you stay tuned right to the very end of today's episode, I've got something very exciting to give away to two lucky listeners. So stay hanging on, please. And thank you again to Car Gods. Uh, right, this is episode 50. I can't quite believe we've got to 50 episodes already. This was a little project that I started just to sort of see how it would go um, way back when I had very little to do uh, a year or so, a couple of years ago. And um, it's just taken off and it's become one of the things that I love doing most of all. It's almost therapeutic for me. And I do know that it's helping many of you because you tell me that. I hope you continue to tell me that if it is happening. And if it's not helping or for the things you'd like to see differently, done differently, improved or changed, I want to know that too. I want the podcast to help as many people as possible. And I can only do that if it's serving you, if it's giving you what you need. So please do continue to stay in touch after this season has finished. There'll be a couple of weeks break, uh, I imagine, while I gather some content and some ideas ahead of the next series, and then we will go again. Um, But let's get into it because I do want to cover a couple of topics this week before we get to that exciting prize giveaway at the end. We're coming to the end of the Formula One season. I'm recording this on Thursday evening of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. I'm in a hotel room in Portugal where I'm about to speak in the morning, tomorrow morning, Friday morning, uh, to a big pharmaceutical company about Formula One, about how Formula One operates and how they can think more like a Formula One 
team thinks. Uh, that's the very basis of this podcast when you think about it. It's how the podcast came to be because I was doing these for corporates, corporations and businesses and really realized that actually this is valuable stuff for everybody. We can all benefit by thinking more like a Formula One team does. Um, but anyway, the Formula One season is coming to a close. It's the final weekend, this weekend in Abu Dhabi. Championship is wrapped up, but it's been a long season. It's been a tough season for everybody involved in the sport. I'm sure even for many fans, there have been elements of this that have been tough. It's a huge commitment from fans to watch the growing number of races. And over the course of a Grand Prix weekend, there's now a huge amount of content and coverage around each of those races. So to commit to that is significant. It takes time away from family life in some cases or from friends. It might take you away from the ever-growing job list of things you've got to do at home. But many fans are so committed to this sport, they're willing to give up that much time. But for the people within the sport, of course, it goes to another level altogether. They have to commit to this many races, a number that's growing again next year and potentially can grow even further than that. They have to commit to not only giving up their lives in pursuit of this Formula One competition uh, on a daily basis, but of course they are away from home a huge amount. They're traveling the world and it's, it's easy to sort of look at it and say, well, I haven't got much sympathy because I've got a dream job. It's all glitz and glamour and I had to give my right arm to be in their position. And I get that. I've been there and I now fully appreciate how lucky I was to have and hold that position for so long. But there is another side to this and that is the element that over a long, tough, hard and gruelling season of travelling back and forwards around the globe, together with the pressurised environment that is the Formula One pit lane, the elements of competition, the politics, the presentation and sponsors and media and all of the other aspects that go into the various elements of a Formula One team. Over this long season, it's tough and it takes its toll. And we always get to the end of a Grand Prix schedule, a Grand Prix season, and people sort of refer to it as having the big break and we're getting to the end of this long marathon-like season. These are terms that are often used. The Formula One season's like a marathon because you don't really get to stop all the way through. It's kind of relentless from February or March all the way through when you're on the road, right through to November or even December sometimes. Now, I totally appreciate that. It is a long, hard slog. So when we get to the end, it's a chance for everybody involved to have at least some kind of break. Not everybody gets the same kind of break, but it is a chance to not have to be on the road with the same relentless schedule for at least a few months. And people can reintegrate into normal society, into society with their friends and their family life. They reacquaint themselves with partners that they might have left behind for so long. But this also takes a massive toll, as well as the relationship side of things. It takes a massive toll on the minds and the bodies of all of those people. And this isn't something specific just to Formula One, of course. This is something prevalent in the business world and in family life. Parents know how tough and grueling it is bringing up young children. And that is relentless. And it doesn't stop for years before we get a break, finally. So this isn't something that's specific to Formula One, but I'm using Formula One as an example because of the nature of this podcast and where we are in the season. And what I'm talking about is the recovery process off the back of a long, hard, grueling, marathon-like season. We were always taught when I was working for McLaren that 
this was our opportunity to switch off to, on a literal sense, it was our only opportunity back then to take our holiday. So our company holiday, the day's annual leave that we had, this was really the first opportunity that we had to take that. Nowadays, there's at least a summer break, which gives teams an opportunity to take some of it back then. But back in my day, that wasn't the case. So this was the only opportunity we had to get away and to have a break. And when we started to look at the idea of human performance in those days, it was always given a certain amount of importance that we should do exactly that. We should get away. We should have a break. We should get away from work completely. We shouldn't think about work. We should try and go on a holiday if we can or do something that's completely the opposite of what we've been doing for the past eight months or so. It was something to take our foot off the gas and just try and relax. Take away the stress if you've had a stressful job. Take away the relentless traveling if you've been traveling all year. Maybe don't go and jump on another plane immediately, but take some time to yourself to wind down. And that was really the key, it's winding down. Now, that was important. And when we started to look at, as I said, human performance and sports science, we started to appreciate the benefits of taking your foot off the gas at this time of year and literally stepping away from Formula One in, in its entirety to give your mind and body a complete rest and a complete chance to, to shut down and recover because it needs recovery. And it's like anybody, it's like a sportsman getting to the end of a literal marathon. You need to stop, you need to recover, you need to look after yourself, you need to give your body and your mind the things that it's been uh, malnourished of for some period of time. You need to eat and eat in the right way. You need to keep yourself warm. You need to relax the muscles that you've been working so hard for 26 miles if you've been running a marathon. These are all very obvious and fairly basic roads to recovery from a very specific challenge of a marathon. But when you look at a Formula One season or anybody who travels or has an intense job or has a relentless pursuit in life that they have so much focus on in an intense way for such a long period of time. We still have to find similar means to recover. We have to think about the elements of our body and mind that have been taking a battering for so long, that have been abused almost or malnourished. If we've been so intently focused uh, from a, a mental perspective in the Formula One garage, looking at data, looking at screens and analysing the data that's coming in from a car, your eyes take a battering, your brain takes a continuous amount of focus to be able to do that. And if you're doing that over and over again, every single day in the heat of battle, and you can't really stop because it's a differentiator between you and the competition. You have to keep going, otherwise you give up the fight. That's kind of the nature of Formula One. And so when you get to the end and you get to the break, you have to step away from that. Your brain needs to not be looking at a screen for a while. It needs to reaccustom. Your eyes need to reaccustom to the outside world. You need to see a bit of nature, take in a bit of fresh air. You need to clear up those elements of your mind that have been so intently zoned in on one specific thing for so long. Our brains are muscles, just like the muscles in our rest of our body. If we only focus the workload on one of those particular muscles or one part of those muscles, we will build that particular part but neglect the rest. And it's exactly the same with our brains. So we have to take some time away to step away from the computer. And this is advice for anybody who does this all day long. It's not Formula One specific, as I said. Step away from the computer. Step away from the phone. 
on regular ba- on regular intervals and just give your mind some clearance, some clear air to focus on something different. Give your mind the opportunity to be free and wander and daydream and look around and take in the scenery and not be under pressure. And those things start to help the mind to recover. So this was all something that was focused, particularly back in my day, and it's still the case now, focused on the end of season recovery plan because it's such a big, momentous occasion after such a long stint. But as we get more into learning about psychology and physiology and the idea of general recovery on a much more frequent basis, exactly the same principles it's now known are so valuable to employ on a much more frequent and regular basis, i.e. every single day. This idea of giving our brains and bodies the opportunity to recover is something that we need to do far more regularly than most of us ever give ourselves the opportunity to do. And this was something that I looked into in some depth whilst at the team, but perhaps even more so since leaving the team, trying to understand the way the brain functions, the way it works, the way our bodies function, and how best to look after them as a means to getting closer to peak human performance in all areas. We talk about the Formula One season as a marathon or as a marathon-like event. But actually, if we look at our lives, we can look at the life, a lifespan of a human being as perhaps that marathon. We can look at a project at work on a smaller scale as being a marathon, which might take you months of focus and hard work to do, weeks perhaps. It's a long, prolonged stint on one particular aspect of your job because there's a deadline approaching, you've got to deliver something, or you're in some form of competition. But if we break it down even more than that, there are just as many occasions, just as many reasons on a much more frequent occurrence that we need to think much more than we do today about recovery. And I'm talking about the little sprints that we go on every single day. Our life may well be a marathon, but it's made up of multiple sprints, regular sprints that happen every single day of our lives, sometimes even multiple times during one day of our lives. It's really important, just like if we go back to the analogy of the athlete, a marathon runner knows how to recover after the long stint, the 26 miles of a marathon. But if you're a sprinter, recovery is no less important just because you're doing a shorter distance. A sprinter has to recover in a different way. They have to look after different muscles. They have to do it in a different time frame. They may need to eat different foods. They need to look after themselves in a slightly more tailored fashion due to the difference in what it is they're trying to achieve when they're in their intense competition. And in our lives, it's exactly the same. When we talk about recovery, our lives today, every single day of most people's lives, involve at least some level of stress. We have stress in terms of, as I said before, looking after children, trying to bring up young children, young humans into this world. Imagine the pressure involved in that. I've done it four times now. I know that pressure. I feel it. I still feel it today. In the beginning, the pressure just to simply keep them alive as babies is intense. Plus, you're getting no sleep and you're having to deal with this completely new format, this completely new means or person who is trying to demand something from you at random times of every single day without warning, over and over again. And your existing 
chronology, your existing schedule that you may have lived by for many years goes out of the window overnight. But in our roles, in our jobs, as students, we have exams, there's pressure. There is pressure to get homework done as kids. My kids suffer because the homework schedule is quite intense. They'll have exams coming soon and that will be another stress. And as we go through work, the same things apply over and over again. Deadlines approach rapidly. We get pressure from our boss above us. The hierarchy above us puts pressure on the people below to deliver more and more for less and less. The world demands more and wants to pay less. As a business, we've got to somehow deliver that. The pressures just keep growing. And if that is the way we're living our lives today, plus the psychological side of this, where we come under more and more pressure through things like social media, social pressure, where we feel like we have to live up to certain examples that we see every time we start scrolling on our phone, all of these new elements in life have added layers and layers of pressure and potential stresses to different people at different times. And so we need to recover. If we want to be able to perform at the highest level and deliver on all of these demands that are being placed upon us, it's not impossible. We can do it. But we can only do it, we can only do it effectively if we treat our minds and our bodies the same way that athletes or Formula One teams and their drivers look after their minds and bodies at the end of their pressurised stints of a race weekend or a race season. And the body and mind has a number of ways in which we need to find ways of uh, means to recover, um, elements of recovery. If we think about this, and I've looked at lots of research on this over the last few years, but our brains particularly, if we think about that side of things, our minds need three stages of recovery every single day if we want to be able to perform at a very high level. And we studied some of these when I was back at McLaren. One of them is very obvious, sleep. We have to have a certain amount of sleep. And that is not a, a magic number for everybody, but everybody needs the amount of sleep that they need. Typically, it's somewhere between seven and nine hours, but for many people, that's different. I get some considerable amount less than seven hours of sleep most nights, but I can function quite well on less sleep than that. And everybody has their own personal needs and requirements in that space. But sleep is absolutely critical. It's where most of the deep recovery happens. It's where our bodies recover, our muscle tissues recover after exercise. It's where our brain does exactly the same thing. It starts to reform bonds that might have been broken down in muscle tissue. That happens during phases of sleep. So we have to get the required amount of sleep and it's gotta be quality sleep. There is lots of stuff we can do to aid that process of recovery. There's perhaps an old, a whole podcast episode on treating yourself to a good night's sleep that I could perhaps do at some point. But getting the right amount of quality sleep is perhaps obvious, but a really, really important one, and a one that a lot of people still neglect to this day. There's two other forms of recovery that the body and mind need, absolutely need, to be able to function at the highest level. Now, one of those is rest. Now, rest is not sleep, but it is taking restful recovery time, perhaps in an evening, as an example, where you might come home from work, and for many of us, that might be having some dinner, sitting on the sofa, maybe in front of the television, or talking to your partner or your children, but doing something that's just restful, that's calming, and allows the body just to 
calm itself down, to settle down, to lower the heart rate, to let any stresses in your mind from the day of work start to melt away. We have to get a significant amount of that rest time every day. It doesn't have to be in the evenings, but typically that's where modern life in the Western society tends to place it for most people. And the other one, and this is one that is often so overlooked, and by the way, that restful time, that calming time, if we think about it in the evenings, is also something that actually is not seen as being particularly important by many people, but it really should be. It's something that often gets overlooked because we get home and we've still got a long job list of things that need doing at home. And absolutely, those things are real. That's a real life pressure that needs taking care of. But we need to try and balance that or schedule that into our day to a point where we can be a little bit more efficient about how we use those hours when we're not working to at least factor in some calming, restful time that can just start to let those stresses melt away and prepare us for the recovery phase of sleep that comes perhaps after it. Now, the other one, as I said, that's really important that's often overlooked, and this again was something that we made some focus on at McLaren once it was identified by these sports scientists that we went to visit and speak to and work with as being important, we had to give it the credibility it deserved. And that was the idea of taking breaks. Now, this is different to the restful period that I talked about a moment ago. Taking breaks are much shorter stints where we just take a break from whatever the intense focus is. And in terms of Formula One, the way we applied that was we mandated that everybody took a short break at various times of the day. Now, in the factory, that took the form of a tea break. So it's quite easy. We could schedule in a tea break at various times and everybody would stop work. They'd go to the the restaurant and literally sit down, have a cup of tea, have a chat. And it was a break from what we were doing. A little bit of a momentary reset before we go again. On the race teams over a Grand Prix weekend, that's much harder to do because the schedule that we're working to is so intense but it was mandated that at times we had to factor in, even if it was very short, breaks from what we were doing. And that meant getting out of the garage. It meant putting your tools down. It meant stop doing what you're doing and get out, get away from your computer screen. Go and have a wander out into the paddock for five minutes. For some people, it meant going to have a cigarette, go and have a cup of tea, go to chat to your mate at the back of the garage. But it was doing something that wasn't your main focus. One of the things that would often cause stress in anybody's work is their main focus of whatever that work is. The pressurized environment that might be work, you've got to step away from that at regular intervals. It doesn't have to be for very long, but it's just to give your mind a little bit of freedom to defocus from whatever it is it's been intently zoned in on for so long. And these little micro breaks throughout the day have been proven to be so important in giving our brain that little bit of flexibility to just flex back. Imagine it like an elastic band where it's wound up tightly for so long as you zone in and focus on your job, on the pressure cooker of whatever competition you're working in, particularly in the world of Formula One. Stepping away for just five minutes allows that elastic band to just unwind a little bit to flex back to breathe for a moment. And those moments are so powerfully important because it allows the blood flow to those critical areas of the brain to flow freely again. You unclench, you become untensed. And that blood flow that brings with it so much recovery in itself 
so much life, so much the lifeblood, literally the lifeblood to your brain is allowed to flow back through the critical areas and give it some space to relax just for a short period of time. And science and research has proven that to be so powerful and effective in giving ourselves the right amount of recovery or giving us a best chance of being able to recover. And those three different types of recovery, those three different elements of recovery, the breaks, micro breaks, the restful calming period at some point in the day that's nothing to do with work, and then the importance of good quality sleep for as long as you need it for every single night. That's how you then are able to turn up the following day and fight the good fight and get on with your work to the intensity and the quality that you're going to be expected to do day after day. In Formula One, our demands on us are so high. We have to work to such incredible standards all of the time under immense pressure. And those standards continually evolve because the competition brings something better and we've got to go one step further. The element of competition adds a whole other layer of intensity to the environment that everybody's working in. And so by going through this study of science and research into human recovery with an aid, with a view towards human performance, was something that was hugely powerful and fascinating to me, so much so that I've continued to study it long since leaving the team. So I'm telling you this because it's something that I know is powerful and works. It's something that I've learnt and studied and been educated on through Formula One but I now apply it to my days and I know that it helps me. I'm still working on it. I know that there are many occasions when I don't get enough sleep. I have this constant dilemma with myself about productivity versus sleep. Waking hours for me, I'm so focused on being productive. There are so many things I want to achieve and there are just not enough hours in the day and I'm sure we can all relate to that. But the truth is, that if I work until midnight or one o'clock in the morning, the quality of that work is going to be nowhere near as good in the final part of the day. I'm going to start to suffer. My quality of the things that I produce will start to suffer. I will make mistakes. They may not even be obvious mistakes. They may not be mistakes that I notice there and then, but somewhere down the line, they might show up. And so the sacrifice of taking a couple of hours out of that productivity at the latter end of the day and putting that back into my sleep recovery program may actually and almost certainly will pay dividends over the long run. Now, the other part of all of this before we move on, the other part of just being more productive and using recovery as a part of that is understanding when you function best throughout that day. Because I touched on this last week a little bit as part of the learnings from 2007 when I talked about that battle between Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso, how we missed out on the championship. And I went back over what we discovered in 2007 throughout all of our failures to find the answers how do we, could be, we could become better. One of those discoveries was this idea that looking at jet lag, I touched on it last week, looking at jet lag, we know that jet lag will hit us at certain times of day. So we're able to move things like crucial meetings to a different time of the day where we'll be less likely to be impacted by jet lag. And that's something that we can all factor into our daily routines. Many of us have a time of day when we operate best. I tend to function quite well in the mornings. I'm quite an early riser. I like to get up and get on with things. 
Towards the end of the day, I do start to get tired and I suffer. So my prime time is the morning time. But lots of other people are not like that. My wife is definitely not that way round. It's almost the reverse. So if we're looking at trying to deliver peak performance at certain things that we have to achieve each day, it's worth thinking about where that lies for you and how you might factor in the things that you need to do on a daily basis. If you've got critical things that need a lot of thinking power, if there might be data input or looking at numbers or calculations, things that need a lot of computing power, find the the point in the day when you tend to operate best. Is it after lunch, after you've just had something to eat? Is it straight first thing in the morning? Or do you find that mid-afternoon, that's when you come alive and feel the best? One of the really great ways to do that is, as I said last week, start to write down some observations in your diary, in a journal, every single day. Start to make notes of when you felt best, when you felt like you did things that were productive, when you struggled, when you suffered, when you started to feel tired. What time of day did you start to feel sleepy? Was it just after lunch, but then you got a second wind? Just make a note of these things. It builds up this data set that we referred to in last week's podcast that really starts to build a picture that you can work from and tailor your day around. So it's been something that's transformed my life coming out of the Formula One pit lane and I hope can help to transform yours too. It's something that 2007 and 2008 with Lewis and Fernando Alonso really made us look, because we had such a catastrophic failure, it made us look way deeper into some of those problems than we had ever looked before. And that's often the way, isn't it? Making errors, getting things wrong, making mistakes. Society will have us believe that's the end of the world. Really isn't. Really, it's kind of just the beginning. Because if you delve into those problems and those failures, you find some of your biggest opportunities. There is a whole episode on dealing with failure. Way back, back in series one, season one of the podcast. Go check it out if you haven't listened to it. But I just touched on 2007 and 2008. Uh, And I did that sort of deliberately because I want to move on to that. Because today I was flying over here to Portugal and on the way I had downloaded a brand new podcast from the BBC all about Spygate. It's called Sports Strangest Crimes, uh, and it's about Spygate. And it's a podcast that I contributed to. So that's just a slight plug because I'm part of it. I've, you, hear me, you hear me in the podcast. Um, but the point of the podcast is talking about the whole Spygate affair, but also the relationship between Lewis and Fernando and how it broke down and how that had a knock-on effect to the relationships uh, in the team. And how all of that contributed to us not winning the World Championship that year, as we discussed last week. Now, it's a fascinating story. I know the story. I was in it. And I'm still hooked on this podcast. So I highly recommend going to check it out. You can find it on the BBC Sounds app. Um, But it got me thinking about relationships. Because one of the things that was a huge problem in 2007 was the relationship or the relationship breakdown between Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso, and how that then spilled over into the team. How, from a management perspective, we didn't manage those relationships well enough. And for everybody in the team, it really affected how everybody on either side of our garage felt about the people on the other side of the garage, for example. And it started to affect things like trust. And all of these elements started to break down and and caused 
an almost riot, a chaotic state within the garage, which in no small way contributed to our overall failure to win the championship that year. I was thinking earlier, having listened to the podcast, about how we could have done it differently in terms of the relationship side of things and how we can learn from that, because that, again, is the nature of this podcast. It's what it's about. And I was thinking about the different relationships that broke down and why they broke down and why they weren't managed better. And the first one I was thinking about was, if you think about Ron Dennis, Ron was the team principal. He's the CEO of the company. He employed and made the decisions to employ uh, Fernando Alonso, who was the current world champion, and of course, Lewis Hamilton, who was a rookie that year. Now, thinking about relationships as a whole, our relationships in life need a bit of working on to make to, to get the best out of them. If you think about any romantic relationship, a husband and wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, or partners, rarely do you ever hit the sweet spot right from day one. It's a journey of discovery and it's a constantly evolving journey and the very best relationships evolve quickest to a point of happiness and satisfaction when both parties are willing to both sacrifice but also more importantly than that to understand the personality, the characteristics of the other party, the other person in that relationship. It's about putting some time and effort, throwing a bit of energy at trying to understand what sort of person is in the other side of this relationship. Because so often our natural instinct is to treat the other person in a relationship the way that we would treat ourselves or by the characteristics that we display, that we have ourselves. We expect people to think the way that we think, to have ideas, the kind of ideas that we have. And I think when it came to Ron Dennis and... Fernando Alonso, as we take that one first of all, I think Ron was very guilty, as were most people in that team, if I'm honest at the time, of not taking the time to understand the other parties in our relationship. And I'm going to keep this to the drivers for this point, uh, for this moment in time, but actually it applies to everybody and everybody's relationship, particularly in a Formula One team. If you think about Fernando Alonso, he was new. You know, we're coming to the end of a Formula One season right now. Uh, we've got a lot of drivers that are leaving the pit lane and we're going to get a bunch of drivers coming in or drivers moving to new teams. There are new relationships that will need to be formed and nurtured over the next few months. And these things are critical. And what we learned in 2007 about the way we handled, let's take the Fernando Alonso relationship as the first example, we didn't do it well enough. We expected Fernando Alonso to come in and to operate the way that McLaren operated. We put our own values and beliefs and behaviours onto Fernando without any education, without any time, without too much in the way of conversation around that, and expected him to behave the way that our long-standing pairs of drivers had behaved for many years before that. But Fernando Alonso was different. He was a different character. But nobody, particularly Ron, had taken the time or given any much thought or energy to trying to understand who Fernando Alonso was, what his expectations were, how he liked to operate. Because actually, if we'd done more of that, there's a far better chance the relationship could have survived. And exactly the same thing happens with Fernando, with uh, Lewis Hamilton. Lewis was another newcomer to our Formula One team. 
Although he'd been part of the McLaren family, he was new to being a racing driver. And so we had to learn who Lewis Hamilton was, just like we had to learn who Fernando Alonso was. But those relationships weren't given the importance or the time they needed to have that journey of discovery before we went racing. So we were learning who those guys were in the midst of battle, in the midst of a high-pressure, intense Grand Prix weekend and a Grand Prix season. And so when all of those other things, those elements of that competition take over, there's very little time left for spending that time on understanding the intricacies of who your new driver is as a person. We've just got to get down to the very quick and important facts, important in inverted commas, important facts of how quick is he going to be in a car? What, how does he like the car set up? You know, what's his feedback going to be like? What sort of tyre pressures does he like? How much front wing does he like? What kind of balance does he like? What aero balance does he prefer? What's his driving style like? It was all very mechanical and engineering focused because we didn't have any time to learn who these people were. And once we got into the heat of battle, well, the only thing that mattered was getting that car around the racetrack as quickly as possible. And so we needed the driver to step up and do their thing. That's why we employed them. We needed them to do their thing and we need it done now. And the relationships suffered. And I think that's the first lesson that we can all take something from here. Something really important. I'll take my example of of my wife and I. We've been together for, I think, nearly 15 years now. We know each other pretty much inside out. But I will hold my hands up and say only in the last couple of years have I put a significant amount of energy and effort into really trying to understand who my wife Claire really is. And I don't mean that sounds strange. I know who she is. Uh, We've been together a long time. What I mean is how her brain works, how her mind works, because her mind works in a very different way to mine. In many things that it does, that her brain does, it's way more efficient. It's way better than mine. And in many areas, mine has strengths over her. But for many years, I think it's fair to say that I expected her to operate in the same way that I operated. And almost certainly she expected the same from me. And it doesn't work. We clash because there is no way I can put that pressure onto somebody else in the other side of a relationship to behave the way that I'm used to behaving. Because our brains are all unique. They're so different from one another. They are wired in completely different ways. The different elements of our brains have different strengths and weaknesses as well. And the way we interpret the messages from our brains is also very different. Which parts of our brains are most dominant? Very different between person and person. And that can have an enormous effect on our character traits and our personalities. It can have an enormous effect on the way we deal with things like pressure, for example, or stress where we find our happiness, how we deal with emotions, jealousy, regrets, all of these different things are dealt with in completely different ways by different people. And unless we have an understanding of exactly how their brain is made up, how they operate, there is no way that we can fully function together in a perfectly symbiotic relationship. And going back to the Formula One example, That's exactly what did not happen at McLaren. There was never any importance put on trying to learn and understand 
who these new people, these new elements of our team were. And that wasn't just restricted to the drivers. That was something that in reality, we didn't put much importance on generally across the team. Over time, we grew to learn the importance of that, but only really from finding out how catastrophic the mistakes were when we didn't do it. But that is the nature of life. We go through these catastrophic errors, these horrible mistakes that manifest themselves sometimes in such pain and such misery. That moment we lost out the championship in 2007 and all of the other catastrophic errors that happened throughout 2007. I was reminded today of the whole Spygate affair and being thrown out of the Constructors' Championship as a result. Those things hurt. They caused so much pain for so many people. But the learnings that came off the back of it delivered something that was far greater, that delivered so much joy and happiness a year later because we went back in and we figured out what had gone wrong and we applied it to our future um, operations going forward. And I think it's something that in terms of our relationships, whether that's between friends or family, children or romantic partners, whether it's business relationships, another massive area where this does not happen. If you run a company, if you're in a business or if you deal with other businesses, trying to have an understanding of who that business is before you start doing work with them, before you start to approach them as a potential client even, is so valuable. Understand who they are, what their values are. Try and think about when you make an approach, what would their reaction be because of their characteristics? Where will they see value? What can I offer them that's going to really light up those parts of the brain, the receptors in their brain that are going to give them something, some positive uh, dopamine hits? The ideas that they're going to find interesting may be completely different to the ones that I find interesting. But what I find interesting doesn't really matter in a relationship like that. If I'm trying to sell either myself or a service or a product to somebody or another corporation, I need to know how to tick their boxes, not mine. And it's almost a microcosm for relationships around the world, isn't it? If I want to impress somebody, if I want to have a long-lasting happy, fulfilling relationship with somebody, with a romantic partner. I need to know how to tick their boxes. I need to know what's going to get them excited, what's going to make them happy, what's going to fulfill them. And in a perfect world, they'll be doing exactly the same thing back. And yet these things are so overlooked because we have this inherent selfish bias where we find it very hard to look beyond the way our own brains work. Because we've been grown up, we've grown up with those. We've had those for our entire lives. The operations inside our own heads are the things that we've become accustomed to. But it's really important to put that to one side for a moment and try to get an understanding through spending time and actively asking questions, testing the water, and trying to figure out what kind of things make the other person tick. And once we get those answers, we can then tailor our behaviours to make that relationship much more fulfilling, much happier, much more symbiotic. It's a really important process to go through and something that I've taken from Formula One but I can apply to everybody's lives every single day. I apply it to my own life. I'm using Formula One as an example because 
I was listening to the podcast around Spygate today and it brought back all of these memories about how the relationships became so sour simply because we didn't communicate well enough. We didn't understand each other well enough. We didn't understand the expectations of the parties involved. Nobody had a a clear understanding of what Fernando Alonso's expectations were coming into McLaren. Fernando Alonso, I don't think, had a very clear understanding of what McLaren's expectations were. And likewise for Lewis. But that only really happened because nobody took the time to explain them, to communicate them, because nobody knew the best way to communicate them. Because nobody had taken the time to understand who the person was on the other side of the relationship. And so my biggest piece of advice for anybody, really, I don't see this doesn't apply to anybody, my biggest piece of advice is spend some time, if you want a happy relationship, spend some time trying to get to know the other person. And that might seem crazy if you've been with a partner for a long time, like I have, but I had a revelation a couple of years ago through the process of studying psychology and the way that the brain functions as part of a fascination with these subjects. I got an appreciation of how different different people's brains can function. And as a result of that, how it completely changes the way people perceive things and what needs they have to get the same outcome that we might get from a completely different set of requirements. When you start to understand these enormous differences, and yet we all look the same, we're humans, we've all got a very similar form. What's on the inside can be so different and trying to get an understanding of that literally is a huge part of the key to getting those relationships to work. And just imagine if we all did a little bit more of that, how much different the world could potentially be. Anyway, uh, right, that is a couple of topics ticked off for this week. And I want to wrap up this week uh, really by saying, first of all, thank you, because this podcast could not exist without all of you guys listening. If no one's listening, there doesn't seem to be too much point in doing it. I do this because I hope that you guys are able to take something away from the things that I have learnt through my very privileged time in the Formula One pit lane, working at a very top team that I was fortunate enough to be at a team that was so forward thinking in terms of this kind of stuff, in terms of the understanding of human performance and sports science. We were groundbreaking in those areas and it sparked something in me that has gone on and run and run and run. And I'm just a sponge soaking up more and more information in those areas all the time. If I can pass some of that on to you and it helps people, then that's perfect. That's what this is all about. So thank you to you, first of all. I do want to say a massive thank you to anybody who has ever communicated with me over the course of this season and beyond. We've had episodes this season Do you remember a few episodes ago, the young lady who'd been offered a job in Formula One and wrote to me almost asking for advice because she couldn't quite figure out what the obvious thing to do was. There wasn't an obvious thing. And by discussing it and putting it into this platform and getting input from many of you as well, she came to a conclusion that she was comfortable with. Discussing it with us in this community here has helped her. And that gives me enormous satisfaction too. So I would love it for all of you who send me messages, and lots of you do. And I know that I don't share them all, but I promise you I read them all. And I respond to everybody that I can, which is a 
pretty much, I think, is everybody. Apologies if there's anybody that I haven't responded to, but I always try. So I want that to continue. Uh, So please do keep your messages coming, keep sharing the podcast. And on the subject of sharing the podcast, I'm going to say one more time this time around at the end of this podcast to, I want you to share it. But this week, more so than any other time, I want you to share this podcast And to do that, or to help you do that, I'm going to give you an enormous incentive to do so. Car gods. As you've heard me talk about car gods for so long in season five, they supported the podcast throughout the entirety of this season. Car gods detailing products, they're an incredible company with attention to detail at the very heart of everything they do. And they produce brilliant products to help you look after your car, to make it shine, to protect it. Uh, to keep the maintenance bills down, to keep it clean, to cut your workload down. They produce products that will help you apply those uh, products. Those, they produce tools and, uh, and, and pieces of equipment that will allow you to do the job easier. So there's an enormous, there's enormous number of things that car gods do that I know can add value to you. They add value to me on a daily basis in what I do working with cars, and they can do the same for you. But this week... They have really stepped up because this week Car Gods have come forward and offered me a prize, two prizes in fact, to give away to two lucky listeners. You've heard me banging on for weeks about the advent calendar that Car Gods produce. I got one last year. It's amazing. It's a brilliant bit of kit. It comes in an enormous box. It is packed full of things that you can open a door every single day and get something out from products that will look after your car, as we've touched on, to products that will help you, like cleaning cloths and uh, interior cloths, sponges, brushes for wheels, there's a bag to put it all in, there's all sorts of things, there's a little multi-tool, there's merchandise that comes in the advent calendar as well, from t-shirts and hats, and there is all sorts of stuff, but every single day throughout December or for the month when you open it, you'll get a brilliant little surprise from something from car gods. In fact, it's not even a little surprise. They are big surprises, and it's worth a lot of money. These are not cheap. They're about £180, but that's because they are packed full of so much value. So to be able to give two of those away to two lucky listeners is something very special, and I want to say a massive thank you to car gods for stepping up and doing that in the final episode of this season. So I guess you want to know how you win them. It could not be easier. I've already touched on it. The only thing I need you to do, and we're going to open this for seven days from today, uh, sorry, from Monday when this podcast goes live, from Monday morning, for seven days right through to midnight in the UK on Sunday evening a week later. Now, this is going to be open to anybody in the UK or Northern Ireland, and it has to be restricted to that because simply the size of the box this comes in is enormous And posting it further afield would A, be very expensive, but also may not get there in time for December for you to start opening it. Uh, So unfortunately, it is restricted to the UK and Ireland. But all you have to do to be in with a chance of winning the Advent Calendar from Car Gods is to share this episode of the podcast. Now, it could not be simpler. On any of the social media platforms, you just need to share this podcast with your social media following, with a friend, tag somebody in it. Uh, I'd love it if you could tag in Car Gods and tag me. But importantly, this is crucial because this is how I'm going to be able to find it and then pick two winners at random. You need to put in any of your posts when you share this episode, hashtag 
Cargods, C-A-R-G-O-D-S, P-L-L, Pit Lane Life Lessons. So Cargods, P-L-L. If you put a hashtag in there with hashtag Cargods, P-L-L, I will find it. And when we come to next Sunday night, I will pick two winners at random. And very quickly after that, once I've DM'd you and got your addresses, those two advent calendars will be on their way to you, which will hopefully brighten up your December and potentially brighten up your car too. Um, so thank you to Car Gods for those. And please believe me, they are worth entering. For the sake of a tweet, you can do it on Twitter, by the way. You can do it on Instagram or on Facebook. I don't care where you do it. I'm on all of those platforms. But as long as you use that hashtag, hashtag Car Gods, P-L-L, I will find it. And I'm sure that if you want to go and say thank you to Car Gods on any of their social platforms, that would also be really appreciated. So that's it. Season five comes to a close. 50 episodes of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast now in the can. Now, over the course of the next few weeks, before we come back for season six, which we will definitely be doing, believe me, I need something else from you. I'd love to know some feedback from you or some questions from you. I want next season to be driven by you as much as it's driven by me. So typically I do two subjects. I cover two topics in most episodes. Next season, I would love to cover a topic of my choosing, but also a topic of your choosing. So if any of you have a question, some advice that you'd like, a dilemma you're facing in life, it could be a question around Formula One, something that's happened already, that you wonder, could it have been handled differently? What would have happened if we'd handled it differently? Have you got something going on at work that you could do with a little bit of advice for? Any of those kinds of questions, just fire them into me. My DMs on all platforms are always open, or you can email me if you're not on social media at mark, that's M-A-R-C, at f1elvis.com. Mark at f1elvis.com. Fire into me however you want to do it. Get in touch and let me know. If there's any kind of topic or subject you'd like us to cover when we get into season six, I want to start building those up so we can put together a program for the following season. And that's it. We come towards the close of not only this episode, but of this season of the podcast. It's been a really enjoyable experience for me. I would really appreciate it if you can, any of you, can spare just a moment to tell somebody else what we do here, to tell somebody else about the podcast. But also, as I said right at the beginning, if you can give the podcast itself a little bit of love with a like, a follow, a subscribe, particularly with a rating and review in the Apple Podcast Store, it means the world. And anybody who pops a review in the Apple Podcast Store particularly I will commit to resharing those. I try and share all of them every now and again on my social media. I will try and respond to anybody who sends me a message. So please keep those coming in. And I would love to know, as I said earlier, if you've got anything that you'd like me to cover over the course of the next season. Thank you to everybody who's listened at any point over the entire season. Thank you to Car Gods. Thank you to Omelagato, who sponsored the first couple of episodes again. I really appreciate their help as well. And anybody who's ever done anything to help this podcast to grow, you mean the world to me and it could not happen without you. So thank you. That really is it. Now I'm going to leave you, as I do at the end of every single episode, by saying my little sign-off line... But I would love it this time if you try and take it to heart. 
I'd love it if you could try and act upon it. See how you can make it work for you. Check in with yourself at the end of the day and see how close you got to it. This podcast exists to try and help you to achieve more or to get closer to happiness and fulfillment. As a result of changing your mindset just a tiny little bit more towards the mindset of a Formula One team. And this little phrase that I end the podcast with is something that is right in line with all of that. So whatever it is you're up to over the coming days and weeks, until we get back together again for season six, try and remember this. Do the right things. Do the things right.